The epistle reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 31. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the wall of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship together, that we could gather together and worship you. Thank you for your church. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith. I ask and pray that you would build our faith as we study the book of Hebrews, especially this chapter, but also through the testimonies of those who surround us here at Grace and Peace and those who surround us in our, in our life today. Please continue to prove yourself and build our faith that we may keep our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing in. We have uh, two more sermons in uh, Hebrews 11. So uh, we have this one, and uh, Abram's going to preach next week, and then we're going to move on to chapter 12. So um, as we're moving through here, we're talking about seeing the invisible. In the late 17th century, a man from the Netherlands named Antony van Leeuwenhoek, for the first time, he saw the invisible. See, Leeuwenhoek had a hobby of creating small lenses, and through trial and error, he eventually created one of the first microscopes. His discoveries led to a greater understanding that we could see with the human eye, that what we could normally see with the human eye was simply not all that there was to see. There was more. 
What no one at the time knew was there was so much more going on. There was this invisible kingdom, so to speak, of tiny animals that he discovered. These tiny animals that were responsible for life. They're responsible for the spread of disease, even for decay and other mysterious functions as they continued to study them. By now being able to see the invisible, Van Leeuwenhoek changed the world of science as scientists were now able to see how life is created and affected by these tiny creatures called microbes. Leeuwenhoek's discovery demonstrated that life as we know it doesn't function as we once thought. Life and disease don't just spontaneously happen as it was believed to be before, but they're created and transmitted through this invisible kingdom of microbes. Things like cells, sperm, eggs, bacteria, blood cells, once invisible, were now made visible. With this new instrument, man can now see the invisible. Now, faith in God... We think about faith and what we're seeing today, especially in, in this passage, faith in God is about seeing the invisible. The invisible God, trusting that he exists and that his hand is working all things to fulfill his promise to his people, even when we can't see a thing, even when we can't see him or anything going on, trusting that he is working. But our invisible God cannot be seen under a microscope or even with a telescope. Invisible God must be seen through the eyes of faith, through his word, and believed upon by the testimonies he has given us in that word. The faith that he gives us provides spiritual eyes to see the invisible God and trust his working in our lives. So the Hebrews, as we've been studying, have been threatened, as we said, by Nero's army, by Nero's government. Persecution was imminent. They needed endurance, as the author had told them in the past. They needed endurance. They needed eyes to see this invisible kingdom of God and the invisible God working all things to their good. Their sight and their understanding were telling them, however, to turn away and to abandon Christ for the sake of their safety. But the author of Hebrews is encouraging. He's even urging them to walk by faith not by what they see in front of them. See, acting in faith really goes against our human nature, doesn't it? Personally, I prefer to walk by sight. I think we all have that tendency. We want to walk by what we see. We want to see the things that are comfortable for us, and we want to go that way. We want to go to the path of least resistance. We want to go to the path with, less, with the least amount of risk involved, especially when it involves our lives or the lives of our families. We prefer to walk by sight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a very popular proverb. You probably know this, have heard it before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Well, because our understanding drives us toward walking by sight. We long for that safety. So throughout this chapter, the examples of faith, as you notice, we start off with, with uh, creation, and we start off with Abel and Enoch and Noah, and we see a progression in opposition. We see a progression in the discomfort that each of the examples are facing. 
And what we'll discover in this passage is that the faith of Moses and others demonstrates that their faith in God allows them to see three things today. The three things that we're going to see, that they're going to see through their faith is the invisible providence of God, the invisible prize of God, and the invisible protection of God. Now, also in this passage, these three sections in this passage also involve three different Greek words that deal with sight. You'll notice them, they're, they're translated seeing or looking, but there, there's a theme of seeing in this passage that we're going to look at. So we're starting off in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now this passage, although it starts off with, with Moses, it's really not focused on Moses, is it? It's focused on his parents. And the passage begins with his parents, but it doesn't even give them their names. It just says his parents. But you see their names later in the book of Exodus. Their names are, the father's name is Amram and the mother's name is Jacobed, or Jacobed, who's kept Moses hidden. And why does it say that they hid him? Because he was beautiful. I mean, do you know any parents that don't think their child is beautiful? You look at that and you think, okay, that kind of puts him in the, in the league with everybody else. But there is something more. There's something here implied that there was something more that was seen in baby Moses. In fact, it's really kind of elaborate on a little bit by Stephen. In Stephen's last speech, when he gave the, the history of redemption in the book of Acts, chapter 7, right before he was murdered, right before he was stoned, he says this, as he's going through the history of redemption, he gets to Moses in verse 20, chapter 7, he says this, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in the father's house. So Stephen is saying that not only was Moses beautiful, Moses was beautiful in God's sight. There's nothing here saying, though, that Moses' parents were commanded to hide their son, but they believed that God was doing something, or he was going to do something great with him. How this would all go was what they could not see. They had to see the invisible providence of God. They could only trust that the one whom they could not see would ordain this process to his glory and for their good through his invisible providence. So, you know, you, you think, well, how did they know anything if God didn't tell them? There are a few other clues here. And one of them is that back in Genesis 15, the Lord told Abraham, he said, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Well, they were aware of this, and they were counting. They knew time was almost up. And perhaps this beautiful baby that we have, perhaps this child is the deliverer. There's also some, some uh, understanding from, from one of the Greek historians or from one of the Jewish historians named Josephus who said that the father, Amram, did indeed have a revelation from God. It's not in Scripture, but that's just one of the traditions that goes on. Somehow, God revealed to them that they were to hang on to this baby, that they were to protect this baby and to hide him. Perhaps Moses' parents trusted in the same way 
of other mothers in the past. We see this with Hannah, as she was longing for a child, and she had Samuel. And what she did with Samuel was she gave him to the Lord. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she says this. She, there, there's the song of Hannah, and I'm just going to read a portion of it here. Uh, actually, just the last verse says, He will guard the feet of his, the Lord will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Hannah was trusting in the providence of God with her son. She was giving, presenting her son to the temple to serve the Lord the rest of his life, and she was trusting that the Lord would care for him. She was trusting in this providence. This was the faith of Hannah in the invisible providence of the Lord. But this was also the faith of Moses' parents because not only did they hide him, but when they couldn't hide him any longer, what happened? Jacobed put him in a basket and waterproofed that basket really, really well with, with, with like a tar, pitch, and bitumen, it's called, and made sure that the baby was not going to get wet. But then she did something remarkable. She went and put him in the Nile among the reeds. But there's more to that. She also sent Moses' sister to watch but ultimately, she didn't know what was going to happen with the son that she was hanging on to. The son that she believed was going to be something special for the Lord. She didn't know. She had to trust in the invisible promise of God. You know what else is interesting here? How God used the edict of Pharaoh. How God used the wicked heart of Pharaoh throughout this narrative. You see, if you read back in, in Exodus, you see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was a pawn in God's hand. You know what else is interesting? While Pharaoh is trying to get rid of all the, all the male children, having them cast into the Nile, having them killed, everything he could do to keep them from multiplying. You know who's saving the day? You know who's Pharaoh, whose eyes, who, who's Pharaoh's eyes is off or off of? I'm sorry about that. He's off of the women. He's not looking at the women. God is using the women in miraculous ways. The Hebrew midwives. When Pharaoh said to kill male children, God used the Hebrew midwives to make sure the children lived. Moses' mother, Jacobed. Moses' sister was out watching. And then... Pharaoh's daughter comes and picks up Moses and cares for him. But in no way was Pharaoh's edict ever out of God's providence. No way was the faith of Jacobed and Amram or the midwives ever out of God's invisible providence. I like what John Owen here says. He, uh, John Owen, by the way, wrote a, a seven-volume commentary on the book of Hebrews. I have not read it all, um, but I did read this page, and he says this here. Here we have a testimony that the rage of men and the faith of the church shall work out the accomplishment of God's counsels and promises to his glory from under all perplexities and difficulties that may arise in opposition unto it. In other words, no matter what, 
No matter what the evil government is doing to try to knock out all the male children, no matter how the faith of, the, of God's people is working, God is going to work them together to overcome. God's providence will persevere. And not only the invisible providence of God, but we see the invisible prize of God. The faith sees the invisible prize of God. Verse 24, now we see Moses' faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So another, another reference to looking and seeing before they saw the child was beautiful. Now in this part, Moses is looking to the reward. He's looking to the prize. Moses chose, actually that word refers to more of a looking away from what he was leaving, looking away from the wealth of Egypt, the treasures of Egypt. Moses chose by faith to look away from those fleeting treasures of Egypt. But what does it mean that he considered the reproach of Christ? I don't remember Jesus ever being mentioned by Moses. He, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Well, actually, for one, Moses did actually mention a prophet who was to come. He did look to a Messiah who was going to come in Deuteronomy 15. He says there will be a prophet. In fact, he says there will be a prophet like me who will come, who will save your people. Moses was looking forward to Christ. Moses, in a sense, was a type of Christ. Moses, not only did he, was he at birth saved to do something great, but Moses left great wealth and came to be with his people in order to be a servant with his people. And why did he do that? In order that he would deliver his people. What it is here is the word Christ is actually anointed one. And so we see anointed ones used a lot in the Old Testament. And what this is saying, though, the, the New Testament writers bring Christ into this, though, the anointed one being Christ, and saying that Moses did not, that he considered the reproach of Christ worth it. Taking on the reproach, taking on the suffering of the Messiah, taking on the suffering of God's anointed ones, because God's anointed ones were appointed to suffer. But he was taking the reproach of the one who was appointed to suffer. Psalm 89, 50 and 51 says this, Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. God's anointed was destined for suffering. And Moses took that on. He took it on with great joy because he could see the invisible prize that awaited him. How would this speak to the Hebrew audience that was wanting to turn from the reproach of Christ when they hear that the one they held up so high, Moses himself saw the reproach of Christ worth leaving all so that he may suffer for God's will?
This reminds me of Paul when he says in Philippians 2, 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he had all the wealth, though he had all the power and authority granted to him where he could stay right where he was, yet he chose to empty himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. And verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. There was a prize. There was a time when the Christ would be seated at the right hand of the Father. And Moses saw this as he would suffer. He knew that there was a greater prize to be had. I mentioned Jim Elliott last week. Jim Elliott, one thing I didn't mention was this famous quote of Jim Elliott. You might have heard it before, but it's very applicable right here. Jim Elliott was known to say frequently, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Moses, just like Christ, saw the invisible prize of God that no one else could see. It was foolishness to some, it was foolishness to not hang on to that treasure of Egypt that he had, to the wealth, to the power, everything he had as being one of Pharaoh's family. And yet, to hang on to that was foolish because it was that which he could not keep. He chose to go for the prize, which he would one day never be able to lose. Now, giving up the wealth and choosing servanthood was one thing. But going against Pharaoh and risking his life for the sake of God's people and the call on his life required that faith could see the invisible protection of God. Yes, God's prize perseveres. God's providence perseveres. And now we see here the invisible protection of God and how that will persevere as well. By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Once again, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That was his endurance. Seeing the one who is invisible, seeing his providence, his prize, and his protection, and hanging on to that, knowing that that would get him through, knowing that, that God would prevail. What's interesting here is it says by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid. But when we read back in, uh, back in Exodus, it says when Pharaoh found out that Moses killed this Egyptian, that Pharaoh's anger burned and Moses was afraid and he left. So what's going on here? Well, I believe this is talking about his rejection of Egypt and also it could very well be his leaving Egypt in the Exodus because Pharaoh was not very happy then as well. And at that point, Moses was emboldened and filled with faith to move forward and to leave Egypt, not being afraid, enduring as seeing him who was invisible, going ahead of them. By faith, verse 28, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The protection that God provided through the blood of the lamb, Moses, by faith, applied that and sat in God's protection, knowing that he would not be touched because he trusted 
in him who protected him. And by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Moses' faith allowed him to see this invisible protection that God had over him and over his people. It reminds me of this, of this account in 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha. The king of Syria wanted to come and get Elisha. And they surrounded him. They surrounded Elisha with the, with the chariots and with the horses. And Elijah's servant said, Alas, master, what should we do? And Elijah said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's thinking, I don't see anybody around here. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He saw the invisible because God made it visible. And do you want to know what that did to that young man's faith? I think you can imagine what it did to his faith. When God brought the invisible visible before him and showing him how he was protecting them. I'm sure he faced opposition a lot differently after that. But what we see here is God's protection perseveres throughout the following and the fulfillment of his promise. We also see that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is interesting because we're, we're now looking at the faith of people we don't really know. The, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. It doesn't talk about Joshua. It just talks about, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell because this was part of God's plan. Joshua went forward. The others who were, who were participating, I, how was their faith? We don't know. Some of them might not have even known what was going on, but it was because of God's power. It was because of what God was doing to fulfill his promise to take, to take the exodus forward, to take God's people forward. The walls came down. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Think about the person of Rahab and that she is put in this so-called hall of faith that she a prostitute who was rejected probably by the people of Jericho probably if we're talking seeing the invisible we see God sees the invisible here God sees a person who was probably invisible to this culture and yet it was her faith that's being mentioned here to the Hebrews so faith here gives us a vision of God's invisible providence gives us a vision of God's invisible prize and his protection. Was Moses' faith always extraordinary? Did Moses always exhibit a faith that could never be conquered? No. No, Moses failed in many ways, and we see this throughout the account in the Pentateuch. But the point here is not, the author is not telling the Hebrews to be like Moses. 
He's not holding Moses up here to say, be like Moses, be like Abraham, be like all these others. He's showing that God's power to deliver on his promise has been demonstrated. It's been proven since creation. And because of what we can and even should trust, and because of that, we can and even should trust in him to care for us in the midst of our great suffering. It's the testimonies of God's faith over and over that we hear over and over seeing, yes, 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 he could be trusted. Yes, he could be trusted. It's those testimonies that build the faith in us, seeing that God will never fail. God is all-powerful and continues to fulfill his promise in spite of any opposition and in spite of any weak faith of ours. God is going to fulfill his promise. And we could trust him in the midst of even great suffering, which the Hebrews were about to see. And some of us as well will see that if we're not going through that already. Why can we trust him in this great suffering? Because God in Christ suffered for us first. He's telling the Hebrews, Christ suffered for you first when he emptied himself to become a servant and suffered even death, death on a cross, in order that he might deliver all of those who call on his name to deliver him from the bondage of sin and misery. And through that death on the cross, don't forget he triumphed. That death on the cross was not the end. It was just the beginning. He finished the work and then rose from the dead. And through that triumph over death, he triumphed over all that can harm us all that can abuse us, all that can cause suffering, yes, all that can cause persecution, and all that can cause fear and despair. He is our sacrifice. He is our great high priest, and he's seeking to build our faith through these examples. John Chrysostom, Chrysostom was a fourth-century pastor. We've quoted him before. He's very... Uh, very quotable, um, I guess I would say, but uh, he, he uh, wrote many sermons on the book of Hebrews, and he says this at the end of the sermon on this passage here regarding faith. If then we too always see God with our mind, if we always think in remembrance of him, all things will appear endurable to us, all things tolerable, we shall bear them all easily. We shall be above them all. When will he be of cowardly spirit? Chrysostom says, never. When we have Christ always on our mind, when he is always set before us, we always think in remembrance of him, and all things will appear endurable to us, all things tolerable. We shall bear them easily. Let that sink in. This is not somebody who lived a cushy life. This is somebody who had his own share of suffering and, hard, and, 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 and hardship. He's not saying to strengthen our faith. He's not saying you could do this if you just push and strengthen your faith. He's saying, he's telling us to set our minds more and more on the one who is victorious. To set our mind on 
the word of God. As Doug reminded us earlier, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what do we do? We set our mind on our Lord. We set our mind on the word of God. As Psalm 1 says, we meditate on it day and night so that we would be like trees planted by streams of living water, bearing fruit in its season, its leaf never withers because the roots are deep, because the roots are holding on. Paul told the Colossians, if then you've been raised with Christ, Hebrews, the, the Hebrew writer is saying, if you've been raised with Christ, he's saying, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on Christ. Why? Because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, let's build our faith, not by trying to build our faith, but by fixing our minds on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful, even when we are faithless. Thank you that your love your triumph and your victory perseveres in the midst of weakness, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of all opposition that you persevere. Jesus, build our faith in you. Let us focus our eyes on you. And Lord, let us hold to you tightly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.